MPH Sports Podcast. Talk sport and property with sports people discussing their careers and how property played a part in it. Good afternoon, Tom. Welcome to Talk Sport and Property. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you for jumping on the podcast. The first half of this podcast, we're going to talk about your career. 568 professional games, 242 of those in the Premier League, 27 goals, 49 assists, four England caps. I mean, I know you're currently in transition, you know, without a club, but I mean, if you decided to just stop today, I mean, you've got to be happy with that career, surely? Um, not so much at the minute, because I still feel I have a lot to offer for at least another sort of couple of years at least. But it's one of them, I don't think, in sport in general, I don't think people probably appreciate their achievements until they're a good few years into retirement. So yeah, listening to the, the numbers there, there's been sort of better players than me that have played a lot a lot less games so yeah just as I say I still feel I've got quite a bit to offer which is probably why it feels like a bit of unfinished business type of thing hence why you've just come back from another 11k run yeah <laughs> <laughs> getting ready Tom I want to take you back to 12 years of age when you you joined Nottingham Forest um, at the academy was it was it true that you were, you were released based on the fact that you wasn't strong enough yeah, basically, I was there from so my primary school. We didn't have like an eleven aside or even eight aside team. We just used to play in the local Nottingham tournament, okay, which was five five asides. Uh, got scouted by the Forest agent, uh, scout. Sorry, eight years of age. Played for them for four years from under nines, tens, elevens, and twelves. And then at the end of the under twelve season, I think if they let a player go, they have to give an official line yeah. or reason. Reason, which yeah. is probably. Yeah, probably out of X amount of sort of paragraphs. And the one was they didn't think I would be strong enough to make it like professionally. But that was a bit weird because, yeah, at 12, but I was probably, well, I was head and shoulders height-wise above everybody else from being a young age. One of my friends sent me a school photo the other day, actually, from our first or second year at senior school. And the height difference to the rest of the class was a bit ridiculous looking back at it, to be fair. So... (laughs) I think they probably meant maybe aggression-wise. Okay. But the official line was wouldn't be strong enough, yeah. Wow. Okay, so when were you picked up by Derby? And was Derby County a side that you grew up supporting as a child? No, um, definitely not. Being, as I say, four years at Forest, growing up in Nottingham, in a city school and area, all my family... Well, my mum's probably a Notts County fan, to be fair to her. Uh, but the rest are probably not diehards, but more Forest fans. Okay. Um, so, yeah, Derby was the complete different end of the oh. spectrum supporting-wise. Um, but the way it worked, my... So, Forrest told me, as you say, it wasn't going to keep me on a few weeks before the end of the season. And then my last game for Forest was actually against Derby's under-12s. My best friend, my mum and his mum are best friends as well. We've been through nursery and all the way through senior school together. He was actually at Derby at the time and he lived like the next street along from me. So he had, they, him and his parents had mentioned it to the manager at Derby. And that last game for Forest against Derby was probably my best performance, to be fair. And then the under 13 manager afterwards had spoken to my mum after the game, said that we understand you're having a bit of difficulties contract-wise. So we've seen enough today to offer him a two-year schoolboy contract it worked out okay in the end but she all stitched me up and she was like because he I think he was willing to let me sign the contract in the in the boot of the car at the time and she was like now nah, you can you can go on a six-week trial like everybody else has to do and sort of make sure that you do make sure you like, what, like what you see yeah. Um, yeah yeah so yeah just did that and yeah thankfully that worked out all right in the end well it, well, it did because I mean I was looking at some of the history, really. I mean, you were in the reserve team at 15. I mean, is that is that the equivalent of today's under-23s? Very similar, but I'd, I'd probably say it's almost a higher step up to that, to be honest, because back then, it was literally, especially champ- championship club, if you were well, even the first team, actually, a lot of clubs prided themselves on, they t- took the reserve league seriously. 
and it wasn't like now if you're an under 23s you're allowed i think it's three players over the age of 23 plus a goalkeeper yeah. whereas back then a reserve league was anybody that didn't play on a saturday the manager or it was just known and expected that you'd play on the tuesday in the reserves so you'd have say obviously you're starting 11 in the first team and then the five substitutes they would play uh, for the reserves along with other senior pros so it was a good way and a better introduction for a lot of players to get in and around that men's football and sort of being around adults and playing proper football really whereas the under 23s nowadays is it's all pretty and technical and quite tactical but sort of 15 20 years ago um, it was very physical and as close to first team football as, as it more than it is nowadays so how did your how did your game change i mean i can't imagine you know, my my son who's now 14 um, I can't imagine him playing for the 18s or the under 19s. I mean, he often plays up an age group, and and I often see him come across players bigger than me. So, yeah. what, what 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 were those challenges that that you and your family were kind of embracing at this point in your career? Yeah, I think so. As as we mentioned, that signed for Derby at the age of under 13s, and then there was like four of us that ended up getting in the England Victory Shield squad. So we had a Fairly good team. A couple of good Scottish lads that played for their sort of Victory Shields team and a lad from Northern Ireland who did the same. So a lot of us was playing up an age group anyway. A couple of us maybe going... So if we were like under 14s, we would be playing for the sort of under 16s or when we was under 15s, we would be playing for the under 17s in the youth team. And that was obviously the under 17s. That's their full-time job at the time. So it almost... I'm quite laid back anyway, so it was almost just like a taking everything in my stride and a smoothish transition. Because I'd played, obviously before that, I'd played quite a lot of games for the under-17s and under-19s, even when I was sort of 15. So the next progression, as you say, was getting in the reserve team. And thankfully, we had an academy director at the time in Terry Wesley, who was knocking on the manager's door, who was John Gregory at the time, and trying to push a few of us on and say, I know you've got X, Y and Z in the first team and reserves, but... I'm telling you, like, if you've got time, come and have a look at these boys. They're 15, they're playing regularly in the under-19s. Like, come and check them out and see if you can push them on. So, very thankful for Terry for the... It's easy for an academy director to keep players at their right age and get their win percentages up and stuff like that. But at that age, it's all about developing as a player. And he felt the best way for that was to sort of push us as hard as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was only a year later. Um, your coach, George Burley, brings you into the first team squad at 16. On your, on your debut, you win man in the match. And, and George has announced after the game, Tom is the best passer of the ball at 16 we have ever seen. Did you think you were that good at 16 years of age? And did you feel like you deserved that first team opportunity that justified that introduction to first team level and... What was your first expectation when you got on the pitch? Was the was you nervous? Was you must have been a proud moment um, for the family? Yeah, I was very proud. I think if we if I can sort of go back a little bit. So my last year at school, as I say, we had the academy director pushing. So I would do my GCSEs, which that was my mum's main focus. It was forget about the football, just concentrate on that. Education but comes first. Yeah. At the time I was playing England under sixteen stroke seventeens. So in my for my PE part of the GCSEs, that happened to fall on a Thursday morning. So we had agreed with Derby and my school that I would have Thursday mornings off school and I was going in and training with the first team. And at the time, I think Derby had just been relegated. So that team then, you had some players that sort of we would have grown up watching in your King Cladzi, Ravinelli, Rob Lee, Warren Barton. Yeah, um, proper players. Yeah, so they had a, a very good squad. So I think training with them, being around them, even though it was only for like one session a week, just gave me the belief and they were they were all very helpful. It was quite a young, well, obviously not as young as me, but like early 20s, Chris Riggett, Danny Higginbottom. Yeah. So there was quite a few lads that had been in similar situations that were quite helpful talking in and around the building. So I think that for sort of seven or eight months whilst I was still at school put me in good stead for when I was going into full-time job really do you remember your debut yeah I do I remember the, it was a little bit surprising so the build-up to it obviously the last couple of games of pre-season are 
normally when the manager's getting a gist of his team and stuff like that. And I came on for like 15 minutes and I didn't even expect to. I remember we played Ajax one of the games when they had like Ibrahimovic and Van der Voort. And I remember walking around the town centre on the way back to the digs in the afternoon. Yeah. And a couple of the lads, I was a first year scholar and a couple of the third years were like, oh, like, what seats are you in tonight? Obviously everyone got two tickets yeah. and whatever. And I was like, oh, I'm actually in the squad. And they're like, <laughs> What are you doing? Like walking around? I was like, I'm obviously not going to get on. They're like, no, you should be rested in the in the dig. So I went back to the digs, obviously not expecting to get on. Come on for about 15 minutes, did okay. And then the week after, he started me against Real Mallorca. Yeah. The last, the last game of pre-season. And that's when I was thinking it might just be sort of either seeing what I'm like or resting the other lads for next week. So yeah, it was a bit of a surprise to obviously start the game. And then we got absolutely battered and bullied on the day. We lost 3-0. We played a Stoke team. I think the, the smallest player was probably six foot three. Every, it was just land of the Giants. I guess that's reality check then, isn't it? You're still 16. They were obviously Stoke are renowned for being quite physical and dominant anyway. Um, sure. But I was just happy to be on the pitch and sort of almost get your debut out of the way. It's a quite a long, a long build-up usually. Well, you made that right impression, didn't you? Because you went on to play another 46 games that season. Had another cracking season the following year not only with a, a trip to Wembley for the for the playoff semi-finals but you you also signed for for Spurs can you take us back to when you experienced interest from a club like Tottenham we're talking fees of millions of pounds was it an easy decision or was it something you may not have felt ready for the decision at the time was quite difficult I think it was even my first season in the first team because as you say at 16, if you play in sort of 40-odd games in the championship, at a, a big club like Derby it is going to attract quite a bit of interest. So, yeah, I think there was a few bits and bobs. And then I ended up, in the second year, I signed for Tottenham in the January, but stayed on loan at Derby for the rest of the season. And again, I think there's quite a lot of interest. Graham Souness at the time, when he was at Newcastle, uh, I think Blackburn and Charlton, and that were like three, at the time, three established Premier League clubs. A lot of them were saying they wanted to do it in the summer, that like 100%. But I was saying, and that's the thing. Nowadays, I think if you move from Derby to Tottenham, you'll be getting however many times your money. But mine was literally, it worked out very similar. Me playing every week at Derby would work out to very similar to my sure. wages, what, what were at Tottenham. But at the time, I was saying, you had your sort of traditional top four, Chelsea, Man United, Liverpool, um, Arsenal. And then after that, you probably had Tottenham, Newcastle, Everton as your next batch of teams. So it was a case of would this ever, this opportunity ever come around again? The only thing what was making me 50-50 when I was down at Tottenham's training ground was, well, one, at the time, Dobby's facilities were a lot better than Tottenham's. Two, we were, I think we were like third or fourth in the league. And I knew if we had got promoted... I was more likely to be playing regular That's with Derby, the team yeah. that I'd come through, than signing for a big club like Spurs. But then in the back of my mind, I was thinking, if we don't get promoted, is this opportunity ever going to arise again? So, And Derby were in a lot of financial struggles. So ended up signing. We finished fourth, lost in the playoff semi-finals to Preston. I think West Ham beat them in the final that year and went up. So, yeah, it was... It was touch like literally when I was at the training ground to sign the paperwork. It was I was fifty fifty, but decided to to go with it in the end. And yeah, no regrets really. It was at Spurs you became one of England's most promising young talents, Tom. You know, with Martin Yol comparing you to German legend Frank Beckenbauer. Now, what what sort of confidence does that give you as a as a young professional when you hear comments like that? It did give me a lot of confidence, but I'm always quite realistic. So obviously. It wasn't as if he was playing me every single game of the week and building the team around me. I think he just sort of likened my style to Beckenbauer's. Obviously, when Beckenbauer was playing, it was more he, he played more sort of as a sweeper role, which isn't really hasn't really been a, a position for the last 20, 30 years, really. But yeah, I understood what he meant because Tottenham signed me on the back of playing majority of probably 60-70% of my games at Derby were playing at centre-back and then the other the rest were in midfield so I think it was on the basis of that he could see me either playing at centre-back and 
having the capabilities to not being a traditional English centre-back at the time and just hoofing it up the pitch, bringing it out and looking to build the play up from there, but being as comfortable in a midfield position as well. For the majority of your spell at Tottenham, you had Harry Redknapp as your manager. Can you share us your relationship with Harry? What is he like, Tom? I think he's different as your manager, obviously, as the, what you see him like when he was on the jungle and when you see him in the uh, the press and stuff like that. Uh, but obviously, in a football club, he can't really be like that. He's, he's in charge of 25 players and maybe another 15, 20 staff underneath him. So, but yeah, I was, I was quite young. So it was a case of obviously trying to please your manager and get him yeah. staying the team for as long as possible. So I don't think we had like a, a close bonded relationship like players do when you're a little bit older and you speak like managers since now I've been a little bit older. Managers have had me in sort of meetings where, where they pick five or six of the more senior players and stuff like that. But at the time I was sort of early 20s, so I wasn't in the, the senior group then thankfully but yeah my relationship with Harry's like just a, a fine working relationship and he was a good manager that got got a lot out of a not average Tottenham squad but I think at the time for us to finish fourth a couple of seasons with the money that the as I say the traditional top four were spending Man City was starting to spend a lot of money I think he deserves a lot of credit for almost getting the ball rolling if you look at the Tottenham where they are nowadays um, I think a lot of that credit is owed to Harry yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, look, as a as a football fan, um, for me, he was always the the ideal England manager that never really got that chance. Would Would you agree? I mean, how would you think that if he had, had a got the England job, would he have adapted to international management as well as yeah, football for sure. management? I think, I think that would have probably suited him. Even I know he's done well at club level, but I think that would have suited him even more than club level, to be honest, because yeah, we weren't like day to day during the week. It wasn't like we were doing loads of tactical work and he just sort of would get players and sort of build your confidence up. And if you're a winger, he'd be saying you're in the team to take him on and get crosses in. Like almost making it a simple game, which it should be. Um, was never afraid to leave big players out of the team. So I think if he got the England job, it, obviously you've got the ability there straight away. So I think it would have just been building the confidence up of them players, getting yeah. them to do what they're good at. And I think England could have could have definitely benefited from that over the years with the squad that they've had. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, look, whilst we're on the subject of England, I mean, between 2009 and 2012, you managed to get four England caps yourself. I mean, are you disappointed you didn't get more of a chance? Um, a little bit at different times. I think I was disappointed that I didn't go to the 2010 World Cup. I think that year I'd played 35 out of 38 league games for Tottenham. And we finished fourth for the first time sort of in the club's history in the Premier League era. And then after that, which was the most disappointing part, sorry. So I was in the 30-man squad for the World Cup, which gets cut down to 23 for the actual World Cup. So I was just part of the training group beforehand. And then I was one of the seven that got the, the dreaded phone call to get the, the chop. It's, um, it's a brutal process, isn't it? Yeah, I remember I was sat with Michael Dawson me and him went for something to eat in the, like the off season, and he got the call first to say that like he wasn't in in the making the twenty three, and then I got the call afterwards, and I was like, oh, I'm not answering this. <laughs> so I didn't bother. <laughs> I didn't bother answering it. Um, and then who was the manager uh, at the Capello time? Hello at the time. Okay. The woman from the FA text me saying, "Oh, can you sort of." Ring, ring back kind of thing because we can't release the squad until we've spoken to everyone but that's the thing Capello didn't even ring himself he got um, his assistant Franco Baldini to do it right uh, so that was the year when I don't know if you remember when Gareth Barry he missed the last like eight weeks of the season he was yeah. touch and go whether he would make yeah. it and obviously if he didn't I probably would have uh, but they, they took a chance and took him anyway but yeah the annoying part was so the following pre-season there was a couple of international games and me being usually quite logical, I would expect the seven lads that were binned off to at least be in the squad and have a look at. And I think there was two of the two of the seven were in the squad and the other five were just completely overlooked again, even though there'd been no football in between because it was like the last week of pre-season. So, yeah, I was disappointed I didn't get a couple of caps there. 
And then again, my last cap came under Roy Hodgson and had missed sort of 18 months on and off with injury and then played about five or six games for Tottenham. But I still didn't feel anywhere near back up to mm. my level. Um, and he, he put me in the squad and gave me a cap, which I'm thankful of. And then, as I say, the following year, moved to Hull, played 40 games that season and was playing some of the best and most consistent football I've played. Just never even got a sniff. I think that was at the time where no one from the FA came above of Leicester to watch a game unless it was going to Manchester or Merseyside, to be fair. So that was disappointing. But on the whole, I think the midfielders in sort of my generation, well, not my generation, a little bit older, Gerard, Lampard, Carrick, they were getting to Champions League finals and semi-finals for sort of 10 years on the bounce. Then you you had sort of Scott Parker, uh, Gareth Barry. So yeah, it was always... And then as I got a little bit older and they were maybe coming towards the end, it was obviously with Southgate and Roy Hodgson. It was sort of a new a new era of the younger generation with your Hendersons, Wilshers, um, Fabian Delph, players like that. So yeah, I think on the whole... Obviously, if you'd offered me that as a kid, I would have bit your hand off for four caps. Yeah, you would have taken it, yeah. I think I probably could have maybe warranted squeezing a couple of more out. But as I said before, there's, there's a few better players than me that have never played for England that are English, so can't complain. Well, congratulations. Where are the caps now? Boxed um, up or? I've got one, which is my last one. My first one and the shirt, which is signed by all the squad, is framed together. And I gave that to my mum. <laughs> They'll be somewhere. Tom, you were part of the squad that won Tottenham's last trophy in 2008, uh, beating Chelsea 2-1. Um, I'm fairly sure I was at this game. Can you remember the day well? And can you believe that Tottenham haven't won another trophy since? No, to both, really. I don't I remember the, the game pretty well, just to be involved. And I think a, a, I was not long-term 21, so I probably didn't fully appreciate it at the time. It was, I think, my time at Tottenham, especially the first couple of years, was getting to quarterfinals and semifinals quite regular and not even appreciating things, thinking I oh, was unlucky this year, we'll we'll get back to the semis next year and try and go one better and stuff like that. But as they've, they've shown, however good your squad or manager is or facilities or whatever you spend on players, it is actually different. There's only sort of three or four realistic trophies that teams can win every year. And a club like Tottenham, apart from maybe the last few years, where they're pushing for the league title, but the FA Cup and the League Cup are only yeah. the only realistic ones they can win. So it is difficult, but I didn't. I definitely didn't think it would be this long. Even when I was still there, didn't. Especially, I think the year after we went to the final and lost to Man United on penalties. So again, you're probably taking things for granted then, thinking, "Oh, yeah. we've done it back to back years." We'll. So it's very surprising that it's taken them. Well, obviously they've got the final against City to come. But yeah, for that to be their last trophy is quite surprising. If yeah. you think of the the squad and the way they've been playing over the past five or six seasons, especially. Did you ever play at the old Wembley? No, I never played at the old Wembley. The, them two finals were at the the new, the new Wembley, one. which is yeah, I think it was the first final. Might have been the first final actually. I have to look that up. But uh, but yeah, I mean the old the old Wembley for me was just unbelievable. Didn't know if maybe as a as a as a kid you might have played there for England. No, a lot of our the younger age groups of England used to be scattered about the country to get sort of a bit of I don't know pride and yeah, yeah. local attention really. So yeah, never never went to the old Wembley unfortunately. The next move of your career was was at Hull for a fee in the region of around sort of five million pounds. Did you did you feel that was the right move for your career, Tom? At that at that point back in the summer of two thousand and thirteen with Steve Bruce. I did, yeah, at the time for sure. As I mentioned, I did just as I was sort of felt like I was getting. One of the first names on the team sheet with Harry Redknapp got injured, missed sort of 18 months. We had AVB, who initially probably I wasn't his cup of tea, uh, which is fair enough. Uh, but I think once I sort of got into a bit of a flow, uh, I ended up playing nearly 30 games that season. Not not all of them were start, so it was frustrating. I was getting to an age where I felt like I deserved more of a chance and wanted to be playing more regular. And yeah, the opportunity come up to Hull. It was basically Hull and Sunderland had agreed a fee with Tottenham. Spoke to Steve Bruce, who, well, maybe not so much lately, but as you've seen his interviews down the years, he's quite a charming, like gentleman yeah. type of thing. And yeah. he was explaining the roles he wanted me to play in the team and what the team and system was likely to be. And then that same day, 
I had a chat with Decanio on the phone and he was quite the opposite. He was almost <laughs> as if he was like, Steve Bruce had sold me the club and yeah. sort of play well, get yourself back in England squad. And Decanio was almost as if he was doing me the favour, kind of. Um, so yeah, I knew a few of the lads at Hall as well through various, whatever's in my career. Uh, Jake Livermore is one of my good mates was coming up at the same time as well so yeah I felt in my head it was a chance for me to sort of play regular in the Premier League again and sort of showcase what I can do and that first year was, went like a dream to be honest it was very good You mentioned uh, different roles there Tom did uh, did Steve ever get you prepared for that day you had to go and goal? <laughs> no that was that was almost <laughs> How um, did that come about? Yeah that was almost between between us on the pitch so we were 1-0 down away at Palace yeah. and the goalkeeper Alan McGregor decided <laughs> to kick someone up there behind got sent off um, and Curtis was actually going to go and goal um, yeah. but as I, it was only the last like 5 minutes so I was like to Kurt you're uh-huh. better in the you're better in the air than me I can kick, <laughs> kick further than you so you may as well just go up front I'll go and goal and anything that comes back here I'll just sort of kick it on your head basically but yeah, we ended up losing. It was only, as I say, for five minutes or so, and we ended up losing one 0 So, clean sheet in the Premier League, anyway. Yeah, better than most then. Well, at that um, that same season, you uh, you got to Wembley with Hull against Arsenal. Big achievement, wasn't it? Really? Um, was that was it a game on the day you felt like you were capable of winning? Was there the confidence amongst the squad to compete with a very competitive Arsenal side? I think so. I think the way Steve had set us up as a squad throughout that season. We'd done fairly well. By, obviously, by the time the final had come around, we were we were safe, which was the main objective, even though the last few games of the season, everyone's focus was on the final. So they we probably could have finished higher up than we actually did in the end, but survival was the objective. So yeah, we did a lot of work and he gets a lot of sticks, Steve Bruce, especially at the minute. Newcastle wanting to play this exciting brand of football, whatever. Mm-hmm. that they've not done since the mid-90s to be fair um, so yeah we knew we were set up in like a five at the back like a diamond in midfield and a one up front so we knew we would be hard to break down and with that system everybody's relatively close to each other so we knew we could keep the ball against Arsenal so yeah I think obviously it started off better than we could have ever dreamed of but during the game as the game went on and on I was thinking almost we've got this in the bag type of thing we we went 2 nil up pretty quick I think seven minutes or something. And what killed us just before half time, we gave a stupid free kick away about 40 yards out because all of Ben's in the top corner. I still personally think if we get into half time at 2 0 up, the way that we defended a lot of the season and that first half, I think we would have been able to hold on and win the game. But obviously, 2 1, it's in the balance. And even early second half, I just defending wise, I just thinking, these aren't going to equalise here. We've we've got this, and then they were they were able to bring on players like Jack Wilshire, Riziki Kumon, who got hundred caps for Czech Republic. <laughs> and obviously, obviously, once that goes to extra time, you're all flagging. As, yeah, as a squad, <laughs> we're out on our feet. To be fair, and yeah, they got, they got the winner in extra injury time or extra time. Sorry, and we did have a good opportunity to equalise. Just wasn't meant to be, but to be a part of a FA Cup final was something special even though it didn't go as planned growing up probably my age or slightly younger is the last generation of people who probably appreciate the FA Cup final uh, there's some of the first games I remember watching Chelsea Man United Man United Liverpool Villa Chelsea so to be a part of one of them was was special in itself yeah I can imagine special day even now for me 2017 you returned back to Derby County this must have been a, a move you were you were fond to make. Yeah, it, it was Back to where pretty it was strange, to be honest. So my last year at Hull, I had my wife, well, wife and our girlfriend at the time, was pregnant with our first child. All my family are still in Nottingham. So we decided to move back to Nottingham. And I mm-hmm. was commuting up and down to Hull most days. I had a buyout clause, which Derby might... Yeah, it made sense. We had this house down here in Nottingham. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than me doing 75 miles up and down <laughs> to Hull. And the thing was, I was looking at Derby's squad and they had like two players for every position that was well known and had done well and should have been getting promoted, really. And the whole squad at the time was literally, we just sold I think, Livermore, Snodgrass in January, just been relegated. Robertson was there, but I knew he was leaving. Harry Maguire, the same. Sam Klukas ended up going to Stoke. El Mohamedy went to Villa. Who else? 
literally the squad was decimated. And I did the pre-season. It was literally... A different place, was it? Yeah, there was about five of us with mm. a youth team, basically. Um, yeah. We had a new manager who I did feel sorry for because he was promised that myself, Klukas and a couple of others would definitely be staying. So I did feel sorry for him. But he, again, he was a Russian manager coming in, never managed in the English league, let alone the championship, which is difficult mm. at the best of times. So, yeah, it just made sense. Um, and then speaking to Gary Rowett, and yeah, obviously to get back home and where it all started was an opportunity I couldn't turn down at the time. Yeah, I suppose not just for footballing reasons, but for the family as well, you know, as you said. Before we move on to the second half of the pod, where we talk about property, we did actually put some questions out to some followers on social media. Are you ready for a quick 10, five question round? Yeah. Is it one answers? Uh, one word answers or? One word answers if you can. Okay, ready. Best manager you played with, Tom? Marco Silva. Would you like to coach or manage one day? Yes or no? Yes. Who was your boyhood hero? Cantona stroke Gerard. One. <laughs> Give me one. Give me one. I'll go for Cantona. He was the first one. Best player you played with? Berbatov. Berbatov. Best player you played against? Ronaldo. A club you wish you played for but never did? Bayern Munich. Best game you played in? FA Cup semi-final against Sheffield United. 5-3 full. The 5-3 win. I remember it. Worst game you played in? I think we got done seven at home to the Spurs at Hull. But we was, I think we was already relegated. <laughs> uh, we, we just wanted Harry Kane to get the golden boot. <laughs> <laughs> Proudest moment of your career? Probably first England Cup. Yeah. And probably the most important one, what is your golf handicap? With that new system, it's... 8.9, my handicap index, or whatever it's called. Is that bandit territory or...? I've not had a swing since the back end of September, so I'm not sure at the minute. A lot of chip- chipping around the house with the air balls, <laughs> but on the course, I'm not sure, to be honest. Well, when we're allowed back out again, I'll see it for myself. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Talk Sport and Property Podcast, sponsored by MPH Sports Property Academy. Download the app today from the App Store or Google Play by typing in MPH Sports, the trusted go-to app for sports people looking to buy or learn about property. Have you always had an appetite for property in your career, Tom? Not initially. Mm-hmm. I think, as we discussed before, so I signed for Tottenham in January, ready for the summer. So that sort of gave me a five, six month window to one, save up because London's a lot more expensive than Nottingham. Yeah. And two, to try and find a property down there. So on days off, I would go down and look at a couple of bit. And in the end, found a, obviously my mum was panicking, 18 year old, moving 200 miles away from home. But yeah, I found a nice apartment block in like big, say estate, but not like in the traditional sense. Um, yeah, like a, a modern development type thing, was it? Yeah. And that was literally two minutes from the training ground was at the time. Enfield Way, is it? Or where was Tottenham training? Hey, no, the training, the training ground used to be in Chigwell. Oh, okay. Yeah, because they're at Hotspur so, Way now, aren't they? Yeah, so it was in Repton Park, okay. which has got loads of houses, yeah. a, apartment blocks, a gym. There's loads of things within there. So get, gated at the front and then gated at the individual apartment blocks as well. So it was quite secure. Aaron Lennon had signed at the same time and we'd been in England under 16s together. He had the apartment below mine, I think, or above. But we was in the same block anyway. So two 18-year-olds, one moving from Leeds, one moving from Nottingham. It was could have Sounds been quite daunting. But thankfully, we knew someone at the same club and in the same apartment block. So it was all right. Yeah, sounds carnage. <laughs> that time. <laughs> So you were 18 when you bought your first property, were you? Yeah, a few months after I got my mum at house as well because we was in like a more traditional estate type of normal council house where I was born and raised. So yeah, I got mine and my mum's within a few months of each other and she's still in the same one now, to be fair. Oh, that's brilliant, mate. The property you bought when you moved to Spurs, is that a property that you've kept or is that a property that you sold? I ended up selling it. I kept it for... Once I moved out of it, I kept it for probably two years after that. Mm-hmm. And a couple of the other lads probably should have kept it because it's ideal for younger players if they want to rent. In Well, not so much now the training grounds moved, but a couple of the players rented it when they first moved to the club. 
there was a play, two player liaison officers at Tottenham who were, who were great. Obviously, let them know it was available if anybody needed it. So if new players come in, they could show them around. And yeah, thankfully, a couple of lads rented it for a couple of years and then I sold it on after that. Okay. When you moved to Hull, new area that you wouldn't have known much about, obviously from Nottinghamshire, moved down to London. What did you decide? Did you decide to rent first? Did you go straight into buying? Obviously, you was with a your partner at the time yeah no we decided to uh, from the get-go it was a case of rent for a bit get a feel of the areas and surrounding areas and then decide after that and i, I don't know if kurt's told you the similar stories but there was seven new signings and there's basically a little hotel on the outskirts of hall which the club put us up in yeah so there's seven of us in there would literally train back to the hotel everyone to their room iPads or laptops everyone back into like the bar reception area everyone on their iPads on right move trying to find because there's not much to rent up there um, yeah. so yeah thankfully there's a competition between you was it <laughs> yeah what I was doing I was emailing a few agents of properties that were on for sale and sort of just saying would they be willing to rent for six months to a year with a potential of me buying it after that if I get used to the area and whatever so yeah thankfully Somebody took me up on that offer. And I did actually try and buy the house afterwards, but I think they were just being a bit awkward and probably asking. There was quite a bit of work needed doing to certain parts of the house. And they were just asking for a little bit too much. I'm glad you brought up that suggestion of renting a property that is listed for sale. Do you think many other footballers like you would ever consider that option? Because it's something that we do quite a bit. Um, when we help players move, we explore, well, if there isn't anything available that's compatible for you and your requirements at the moment available to rent, then you've got to explore a different strategy, right? Yeah, for sure. I think being in the position with my apartment, wanted to sell that initially. And if it's on the market doing nothing for sort of six months, and then someone's offering you six months to rent it out, you may as well take it up, which was my sort of thought process obviously i weren't emailing houses that had just been put on the market but if they'd been on there for a year or six months yeah yeah yeah, i was thinking it might benefit sort of both parties really yeah no i think it's a great suggestion so what what did you end up doing you rented for a bit then bought you you bought somewhere in the end didn't you yeah i think because because the on on field stuff went so well in that first season i could see myself staying there long term um, sure and there was a new development because obviously people's got this perception of Hall itself as not being the best or modern. And, but the outskirts of Hall, especially sort of towards sort of the middle of the country, the little villages and that are sound and the people are, are very nice and helpful. Uh, there was a new development of six properties that were just being completed. So yeah, we, we decided to go for one of them. Basically, we could choose everything. The sh- it was only the shell that had been built, so we could choose the layout of the house and the kitchen, that- the flooring... Was that quite? Was that something that actually interested you both? Because it is quite exciting, isn't it? A new build. I'm assuming you bought some sort of four, five bedroom detached house where you can have a an impact on the kitchen, the bathroom, and and almost make it that home for life, whether it's for life or not, really. Yeah, for Did sure, you- it was exciting at the time. So. I think it was a, a five-bedroom dial, so with just the two of us at the time, it wasn't needed. So even little bits like changing the smallest bedroom into like a dressing room. Her idea? Had like a, uh, probably, yeah. Um, <laughs> we had like a, a gym and an office thing built in the garden. And yeah, you don't realise how much detail goes into little things, even like mm. a kitchen. There's so many different variations to choose with that. But yeah, that was nice to, and something I'd like to do in the future, to be fair, is pick stuff all from scratch and have it exactly how you want it. Yeah, no, it is exciting. I can see why a lot of players do it. It also gives you that ease to to move into the club without having to worry about the home because it's all brand new. Yeah. I know you and I are working together, building up a more of an extensive property portfolio now. Do you mind me asking how many properties that you've, you've got? That one in Hull. I've just got rid of that mm-hmm. in the beginning of the second lockdown, I think. Okay. And again, that was somebody that was rented out for free. Not, that was another reason for buying that. Because I knew if I was ever to move on, the struggle I had to find somewhere to rent, if I was willing to rent that, as long as the club were in the Premier League or the Championship, players would be able to afford it. And somebody did rent that out for four years. But yeah, properties at the minute, I've got a couple that obviously my mum and family live in. I think there's 
we've got five or six that are rented out to sort of family or friends. Five little student pods alongside that. I think that's it at the minute. I want to mention the student pods because you and I have spoken about this before, haven't we? Yeah. How were they introduced to you? Why did you buy them? And would you recommend any other sports person like yourself who's going to get presented with these sort of investment opportunities to consider this type of investment? I don't even know how they got introduced to me, to be honest. I think through an estate (laughs) agent that my mum had spoken to. But yeah, it was almost, it probably seemed too good to be true, to be fair. So we had a lot of issues initially. The price was set and they guaranteed you two months, uh, sorry, two years rental guaranteed at a certain price. And after Mm -hmm. year three, if you wanted to get shot of um, the pods, they would buy them back at a 10% increase. And then once, I think once most of them were sold, that company tried to go under and almost do a runner. But yeah, as I mentioned before, luckily somebody that had purchased one, he took sort of, took the lead and managed to get it over the line. And thankfully they they got completed and have people in them at the minute. So it has didn't work as smoothly as it sounded and probably should have, but it has worked out okay in the end. Yeah, because you've, you've had some rent coming in for a couple of years now on them, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, okay, well, that's, that's good then. Out of interest, was there anyone that you could remember playing at Hull, Tottenham, Derby that had a real passion for property? I've been lucky enough to meet several athletes along the way the last sort of few years that have got that real desire to to either build and develop or buy rundown properties or HMOs or bulks of new build uh, um, properties. Can you remember anyone that you think, well, yeah, he was always on about property, actually. Um, and did, If so, did it ever sort of motivate you to get involved? To I was thinking about this the other day, but I, I genuinely don't recall it. A lot of players, as you can imagine, are quite sort of lazy with their stuff. And if they've, if they've got a financial advisor who says, oh, every month put X amount here and X amount there, and it'll bring you back 4% a year or 5% a year, I think the players would rather set up a direct debit for that rather than having that and even ones that obviously there would have been people that love their properties but a lot of not sly but almost like sly with it and if they've got what they were class as a good venture they would rather it's private keep it to their yeah keep it to self and that's probably why i can't think of anyone off the top of my head to be to be fair mm. i think a lot of financial advisors that represent players in the championship or the premier league I don't think they necessarily open up to always encourage their clients to invest in property portfolios. Did, did you have a financial advisor in your career, Tom? Not as such. Like I speak to some of my good mates who are sort of mid to late 30s now, and, and even when they were sort of late 20s, they'll be saying, oh, yeah, I can't really do that. I, I can't really spend that this month because my financial advisor said I should do this. And I've always been one where it's, you want to control you earn, Yeah, you earn the money. Do what you want with it. Equally, don't just spunk it away. But if you want to do something, do it. As long as you're able to sort of save and cover your bills at the same time. So yeah, I think my old agency, the owner of the agency owned an accountancy firm as well. So they, they did that side of it. But I don't think they ever, I've never really had what I would class as like a traditional financial advisor. I've always mm-hmm. been happy to, do my own stuff whether properties or investments and things like that I guess there's just so much pressure on a footballer now that after training I suppose rest sleep family life comes first if they've got a financial advisor in their life and it's easier just to invest their money in stocks or shares or wherever it's distributed I guess it's just easier isn't it than thinking about setting up a property company and investing money into that company to build up a a passive income to replace their salary for one day when sports no longer in their life. Yeah, I think that is the half of the issue is if you've got a financial advisor that's happy to do everything and bring you in, say, 5% a year on whatever Mm. you invest or you have to do a little bit more yourself that might bring you an extra 1% or 2% in, I think, Yeah, players would rather (laughs) do very little and earn a percent or two less. But I think there is a lot, and especially once you get to, in your mind, what's going to be your last 
say four or five years of your career, people do start to think about what they're going to do after, whether that's getting their coaching badges, similar to what we're doing, is Mm -hmm. having a bit more of a hands-on and a a keen interest in gaining a passive income from when the retirement does eventually come. We'd spoke about maybe eventually doing a few refer properties and bits like that. Obviously, in this current climate, it's not ideal, but I think to almost get on site and see a property go from, obviously, with stuff like Instagram as well, now you see the before and afters, but to see that process, I would find quite interesting nowadays, especially now I've done through yourself, uh, through my own research, since we've sort of been introduced as well. I do find it a lot more interesting than I probably did initially buying my first few properties. Is that because you're more confident and you've got more time or is it because you've just now got more of an appetite and you've enjoyed the process so far? I think it's a mixture of a lot of things. I think obviously being in lockdown, being without a club for the first time since being eight years of age kind of thing, you have to put things in perspective. The lockdown, everyone's had a lot more time on their hands indoors. So the research side of it has has come from that but I think as we've spoke about before my mindset at a young age whether that be through my mum drilling it into me where she's probably a bit more old school or my old agency then probably thinking along the same lines was to get everything paid off as soon as possible and be as close to debt free as you can when you retire Uh, but speaking to yourself and a lot of the either on YouTube or different podcasts that's not necessarily the best best way to achieve what you want not the best way to maximize what you've got and i probably missed out on different bits of investment and income by doing it that way in the past but it hasn't cost me anything and you sort of learn from learn from different mistakes i guess well i wouldn't say it's mistakes i I think it's just um your focus was sport your focus was your family focus is always trying to make sure that your decision making is always right i think that you you had a property company set up before you and, you and I were introduced last year. I know we've set up another one since, but who encouraged you to set that up in the first place? Was it was it your mum or? I think it was my old agency with the was accountancy it? side of it. Initially, it wasn't for properties. It was for like sponsorship monies and okay. things like that to get paid into because obviously they've had higher profile players than me in the past that have earned millions through sponsorship. Uh, so if they can pay the corporation tax at closer to 20% rather than the 45% if it gets paid directly to them. Uh, that's why it was set up initially. And obviously that's just coincided with, putting with what the, we're doing. Yeah, the properties in that in that name instead. Yeah, brilliant. Did, did you ever get any property education when you was at Tottenham, Derby or Hull whilst you were in the, the first team changing room? No, never. It was a case no. of just winging it type of thing. And as I say, Going, going with a flow, almost learning from your own or other people's mistakes and trying just to get on with it that way, really. Your thoughts on that, Tom? I think the game's developing a lot more now, especially with... I think it's so important from when players or sports people in general first start to get an income from, say, 15, 16 mm. to maybe 22, 23. So get that education of... One of the main things I've learned is that money just staying in the bank is almost losing your money at the end of the day yeah if you're getting half a percent interest rate but the inflation's one and a half percent you're sort of losing a percent mm. throughout the year so i think people need to maximize obviously not leave themselves thin or paycheck to paycheck but i think people can maximize what their money can do for them and if they can start that in their early 20s and it's money that they're not missing on a day-to-day basis but in the background, it's accumulating a lot. Yeah. And if they're able to leave that for, I don't know, eight to 10 years or from, say, 23 to 35 and not necessarily thinking about it, they're going to have a, a large chunk uh, when they do retire uh, that is not by surprise, but is an added bonus. Yeah, we were we were introduced during the first lockdown um, when Curtis messaged me to say, look, um, I think it'd be a good idea to have a chat with the boys about building up property companies, building up passive incomes, looking at different investment opportunities. What was a shame is that I've been to Derby County twice previously, done workshops for the under 23s, which is the same that I gave you boys during last March or April, I think it was. I remember at the time speaking to Frank Lampard and I had a really good 
conversation with David Nugent, and he had mentioned at the time about, um, and I hope I'm, he won't mind me saying this, but he had some HMOs at the time. And he was he had a real interest in property. And I think he was almost a bit disappointed that I wasn't coming in to do the first thing. Yeah. And you could see that he was excited about talking about property whilst you were having a, a cappuccino <laughs> at, the, yeah. at, the drink, at the drinks machine. And you just think, I know there's an appetite for professional sports people in, in property. You know, there is, there always has been. I just think that we need to improve the mindset and education for people that have the money to make life-changing decisions, you know? Yeah, for sure. A lot of it is maybe managers, a lot of managers think short-term, don't they? And they mm. just want to focus on results, results. And if they feel sort of an hour's webinar might stop somebody getting a bit of rest or put them off, whatever. Or but 20 I don't minutes. Think a, <laughs> yeah, I think, but even lads that have unbelievable property portfolios, mm but not understanding it. Like I've, when we first got introduced, I probably had, as I say, 11 or 12 different properties, but didn't have that much of knowledge or information about things, really. It's only yeah. been the last six months or so, speaking to you regular or do my own research or speaking to different people as well. I feel I have a better understanding of things now. Yeah, well, I'm hoping that also you joining our academy will allow you to learn even more we're obviously looking to build more courses and investment presentations that you're only going to learn from and, and education is key when it comes to to anything really isn't it yeah for sure i think it is an important part of football not only property stuff but yeah, i think from sort of 16 17 up to maybe 22 23 is very important for the workshops you do over even if it's like i know it's quite a big topic at the minute but like mental well-being issues and things like that i think it's i think it's very vital especially at them young ages i'm going to leave you with one question if you don't mind tom in light of your experience of buying property whether it was with me or on on your own independently what would you say to any young professional now thinking of buying their first home or investment my mindset now is as long as it's making you money sort of embrace the mortgage route or taking debt on as long as it's not becoming a liability but i would still always advise to probably pay your own the property that you're planning on living in i think that's always good to have paid off investment ones i think you've got to embrace the system type of thing the banks are there to lend money at times so embrace that and as long as it's not sort of costing you money yeah i would and are likely to go down that route myself in the future good well tom honestly i've really enjoyed that thank you so much for jumping on our podcast today i've really loved that thank you so much no no problems enjoyed it yeah thank you mate well look good luck with everything good luck for the rest of 2021 i'm sure the right opportunity is gonna come to you very soon hopefully hopefully. (laughs) and i'll catch you soon cheers thank you thank you mate you've been listening to talk sport and property visit the app store and download the mph sports app today or keep up with us over on instagram